welcome to the show. Uh, this week on the Flow State Performance Podcast, uh, I'm talking to Richmond Heath, um, a friend of mine who's a very knowledgeable guy in the field of trauma release, neurogenic trauma release, uh, which otherwise you might know as shaking or tremoring. Um, so Richmond's uh, one of the leading figures in Trauma Release Australia. He was responsible for bringing David Bocelli, who's the founder of this movement, over to Australia. Um, he's also a registered physiotherapist. Um, I wanted to get Richmond on the show to really draw the connection between uh, mind, body, trauma, stress, and flow states. Um, what you know, I've had this awareness in my life that um, really the blockages to living a life in flow is the trauma, the stress. Um, all the built up and unprocessed trauma that we have from childhood onwards um, that manifests as emotional blockages or physical impairments, um, psychological issues. All of these things are really stored in our body. It seems to me quite obvious that our entire subconscious, our entire hard drive of experience has been soaked up and stored in our body. And um, this is something that resonates deeply with me. And, I, and the work that I've done has led me to experience multiple forms of trauma release um, through things like breath work, through tremoring, through um, psychedelic work, through plant medicines, through other shamanic practices, just through a good old cry. Um, and every time I've released um, some trauma or sort of like untied a knot within me, um, I have felt new levels of freedom and flow. So that was the uh, motivation for me getting Richmond Heath on the show. And he's a very knowledgeable, passionate guy. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. As always, have a look at uh, flowtribe.co to check out our community. And otherwise, enjoy the show. G'day. G'day, Richmond. So welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jiro. No worries. So first of all, just to give the audience um, a little bit of background and just to ground into the conversation, just give me a quick intro into um, actually not who you are, but just tell us where, where you're at and, and uh, what it is that makes you feel most alive. Yeah, look, so where I'm at is at the moment, most of my, or my primary vehicle for the work that I do is teaching TRE, which was is a way of invoking our body's natural shaking and tremor reflex. And it originally started as, it was named TRE as a trauma release process. But what's really bringing me alive beyond just sort of looking at healing the past or letting it go is that this experience of the body moving is, for me, one of the greatest avenues for experiencing and also practicing flow states. And it's really helping me shift my focus away from trying to get rid of the past or the negative stuff and really targeting in and aiming and focusing upon what I do want to create in my life and, and what I want to help other people create, which is a deeper sense of connection to themselves and a deeper sense of connection through that to other people and to the world around them. Awesome, man. So it sounds to me like the mission that you're on right now is about catalyzing deeper connection with self, with others, with nature. Does that sound about right? Yeah, look, absolutely, because... Um, you know, at the root of stress and trauma, our whole body's defense systems are ultimately, you know, externally it's to fight and flight or to freeze so that, you know, predators don't chase us. But the big shift for me in the last few months has really been understanding the internal aspects of our, you know, stress and trauma responses, 
which at its core is designed to disconnect us from our body so that we don't have to experience things that are overwhelming. And so in order to be connected with other people and the world around us and the environment and the earth and, and everything that's moving through us and, and past us, we can't do that unless we're actually connected to ourselves. And so that's been the journey for me, having spent my whole life, you know, and especially in my Western scientific intellectual culture, you know, living in my head disconnected from my body, even though I played lots of sport, but really being able to come back into my body so I feel much more of what I call my authentic safe self. So that's the person I am when I'm not just living out of my habitual responses to people and, you know, being triggered and reactive. And once I'm able to connect in that place with myself, then I'm, I'm naturally, and we as humans are all naturally just hardwired to be engaged with people and to be in relationship with people and not just people, but with the world around us. So what was the transformation for you? You spoke briefly about the growing up in, in, the, in the Western world. Um, and there's obviously been a shift in your consciousness to want to seek this greater connectedness. What was can you can you talk us about life pre transformation? Like what what was life like for you in in your in your teens and twenties, for example? So yeah, look, I think for me it really goes back to the things I learnt as a child that was part of my culture and part of my family of upbringing as the way of disconnecting from from myself. So just recently it really came to me that the first two ways of disconnecting from myself I learnt was when I was a young child. Um, I was being uh, breastfed and the doctor said, you know, when I was six weeks old, I wasn't putting on enough weight. And so my mother was basically told that she should um, change me over to bottle feeding. Now, apparently it took like two days. I wouldn't take the bottle. And the only way I ended up taking the bottle was they filled the milk with quick, which is, you know, like chocolate quick. It's just chocolate sugar. So from six weeks old, one of the first patterns I learned of how to disconnect from my authentic self and, and avoid feeling things that were uncomfortable was to eat and, you know, particularly chocolate. So that's something that's really starting to shift for me now as I get more connected to myself. And the second thing I learned was I happened to take my old mother to church the other a couple of weeks ago and I was sitting next to a young mum with two boys and one of the boys was swinging these beads around and he was agitated and he didn't want to be there. He was probably only about eight or nine and he wanted to move and the mother just kept you know, beguiling him and say, sit still and, you know, giving him a tap and rousing at him. And I recognized then that when I was a child and I wanted to move like that, my father taught me how to just force me to sit still. So the second thing that I learned in relation to how to avoid myself and those difficult sort of experiences was how to suppress myself and suppress movement. So I just learned how to go tense my body up and, and not move. And then throughout the rest of my life, there were probably three other really compulsive patterns that I used for most of my life unconsciously as a way of coping with stress and, and tension. And so one of those was as, as a about a sort of, you know, eight or 10 year old and through my teenagehood, I used to pick. So I would pick scabs and I'd pick my head. Um, again, the, the, the benefit of that was it, it actually calmed me down. And um, the, the negative of that was, you know, at times I would have you know, scabs on my, my arms or under my chin that, that I might pick for six months. And I know, understand now that part of picking is getting that sense of when you get the last little bit off, you get your little rush of dopamine and you feel good for a moment. So picking was an, another one. The, the fourth sort of compulsion that I really lived through was intellectualizing. So just thinking about stuff and not actually embodying or feeling myself. 
And the fifth big one was basically, to, to put it really bluntly, ejaculating. And, you know, sadly for me, when I was younger, it was much more on my own than with someone else. However, up until I, and up until I started doing TRE, literally the only thing that I had, the only, even though it was an unconscious skill, to change the state of my body and get myself, my physiology back into a more calm, relaxed state was to ejaculate. And if I didn't, what would happen is it would take, it only take two or three days until it would build up and it would actually build up more and more. And my other coping mechanisms, you know, the eating food unconsciously, the suppressing my, my movement and what was happening inside me, intellectualizing and picking, those things were actually numbing me and disconnecting me. So at least with sex or ejaculation, it was connecting me more to my body. But as we all know, that can be totally exhausting and constantly in the pattern of craving and, you know, mm-hmm. and craving and release. And so while it would shift me temporarily, it wouldn't actually change my whole physiology. And that was where when I started to experience the involuntary or autonomic movements of TRE, which were starting to downregulate the nervous system and calm my body and let my body naturally move and express itself, it was then the first time I was like, hey, I've actually got a tool now that when I am a bit stressed, my body already knows how to get me back to a calm, relaxed state rather than having to do all of those unconscious compulsive behaviors, which of course come with negative side effects. Okay, awesome. Lots of stuff to dive into there. Um, so just for the listeners, let's just, let's just give a bit more of a understanding of this modality that you're referring to. So can you just give a a 30,000 foot view of, of TRE. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the easiest way to understand this is every human body, we all have a natural reflex where we shake, tremble, tremor, um, naturally. Now, most of us only experience this in times of stress or shock or trauma. So for most of us, it could be public speaking and we feel our hands start to shake or after an accident, the body starts to shake. And in our Western culture, we have been trained and misled to see that this is a part of being scared and um, worried, and it's a part of being in stress or shock or trauma, but it's not because the tremors don't, they don't help the body to fight and they don't help it to flee and they don't immobilize the body in the freeze response. So the tremors, while they do occur around stress and trauma, are actually the body's way of calming itself down and restoring itself to homeostasis. So another time that we might experience it on the flip side, not stress and trauma, is when we're really excited. So you see people on TV all the time, they're one tats lotto or the voice, and you know their hands are shaking. It doesn't mean, oh my God, I'm traumatized. We also experience them, and a lot of us, you know, during sex or orgasm, where the body starts to move spontaneously. Um, other people might start to get a shake and tremor at the gym, or they might get a shake during yoga, or they might have a kundalini rising, and, and every different culture will call it different things. And, you know, the Christian mystics will call it the Holy Spirit, and other people will talk about the de- devil's leading. So there's this natural phenomenon in the human body, which is this involuntary or autonomic shaking and tremoring. Now, in our culture, we all suppress it, but in many traditional cultures, they deliberately activate and use and access this shaking mechanism because beyond a stress relief, it's really a reorganizational impulse or the the flow and the freedom and the movement of life force through our body. So in TRE, we just use simple exercises in a Western scientific format because that translates it to our Western ego. So our ego can say, hey, this makes sense. Let go and let it happen. 
Um, but a good cultural example is the the Kalahari Bushmen who are in the in the movie The Gods Must Be Crazy. Now, one of their primary cultural uh, senses of identity, they call themselves the keepers of the sheikh. So they deliberately use this for health and well-being, and many traditional cultures have. So TRE is just like a new Western way of accessing what's actually a, a natural impulse inside every single one of us, but in our Western culture, we've just pathologized it, misunderstood, and we suppress it and shut it down. And so because of that, we actually lose the gift of this energy or life force that's naturally flowing through us with mm. TRE, just reactivate it and reaccess re it and benefit from it. So I was reading just briefly uh, about the, the founder of this modality, um, whose name is Dr. Just fill me in here. Yeah, David Berselli. David Berselli, okay. And what was interesting to read was about his background in trauma. So, so you're obviously talking about a, a modality for trauma release, but he was actually talking about trauma in the sense of wartime trauma and soldiers and people going through horrific incidences. And he seemed to be someone that had operated on, in that area. Um, is that the case? Yeah, that's right. And so because he was he was like a relief worker, he worked in all these extraordinary, you know, war zones and third world. And that's why it was originally called TRE, because the what he was seeing was trauma. And his point was going, hey, you know what, we can't fly in 5000 psychologists to do 15 sessions with all these thousands of people, there must be a way that we can naturally help these people help themselves and really empower them. And so that's why when it started, it was called trauma release exercises because he was only seeing the tremor in the context of people who were shaking and tremoring and that was helping them recover. Now, for me personally, when he brought it or when I brought him out to Australia, I was going, hey, I don't have a trauma story. I haven't got the – well, at the time, I didn't have, you know, the life or death in, in the experience. I didn't have abuse or abandonment or, you know, major car accident. But I was going, hang on, these tremors are good for me and they're working for me. So – I sort of started to really shift onto focusing on tension and stress because I'm going, well, I mean, they're ultimately the same process in the body. The body doesn't care whether it's a trauma or a stress. It's the stories are relevant. It's what's happening in the physiology. Mm -hmm. And so I really shifted to going, hey, what's relevant to me is this is making a difference in my life in terms of feeling more physically relaxed, you know, back pain going away, tension, getting more connected to myself, sleeping better and starting to reduce my anxiety or depression or all those sort of things that I get bound up in. And so for a number of years, and, and basically now TRE just gets called TRE in the same way that, um, you know, everyone knows what IBM is. No one knows what it stands for. It's like IBM, yeah, computers, but we don't really know what the IBM is. And so that's where TRE, you know, people, we started calling it tension release, but that's not very sexy compared to trauma. If you call it stress release, people go, hang on, it hasn't got a T. In other languages, the word trauma doesn't even start with a T. So it just gets called TRE. And in the last year for me, where I'm really shifting my focus is away from going, hey, let's focus on trauma in terms of the life and death psychological sort of story we all think of and bring it back to, to the body. Because ultimately, what is trauma in the body is simply immobility, a lack of movement, and not just physical movement, but a lack of physical flow in movement, but flow of blood, flow of energy, just flow in the body. And so this is where by focusing on not the trauma that gets in the way of flow, but the tremor impulse or the tremor mechanism or this life force that can unconsciously move us back to freedom by focusing on the flow and that movement, for me now it's taken to a whole other realm of, 
of what it's still doing the same thing in terms of releasing trauma. But you know, it's like once you've got rid of your trauma and your anxiety, so what? Now what are you going to do with your life? Whereas tapping into this natural impulse in the body helps me and the people who are working with it this way to connect into something much bigger than themselves and to connect into who they are and what they want to be doing on the planet. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about actual ways in which our culture and other cultures deal with this thing we call stress. First of all, can you help me understand the difference between useful or healthy stress versus um, damaging stress? Because obviously stress in certain circumstances is kind of transformative in a growth context. Yeah, and look, ultimately, and this is part of the, the learning and the message of David Berselli, is that basically all stress is actually good stress. Yep. All stress and all trauma ultimately is almost good trauma. I suppose we would say, but if I die, it's it's not. But in terms of if we can get through the experience and integrate it and actually allow that experience to shift and move our body and our physiology, then that's how the nervous system actually grows capacity. So we're able to stay more embodied and connected with ourselves at higher and high, higher levels of stress, which is really just another word for saying stimulation or stimulus coming into my senses. So, you know, if you break it into good stress and bad stress, you'd probably say, well, bad stress is any stress that I can't cope with. But even that for me is not quite accurate because our body has the mechanism of going into our trauma state, which is to disconnect from ourselves in order that, well, we'll just deal with that later, whether that's a few days later or a few weeks later or, you know, for veterans of, you know, what's Anzac Day today. So for veterans, it, they might not deal with it until 70 years later. Mm-hmm. And until that starts to arise, we end up with all those chronic health conditions, which is the body trying to cope with, hey, I'm not ready to move this and let go of this just yet. Mm. So in our culture, there's, you know, there, there's obviously some very obvious ways that people deal with stress, addiction, alcoholism is a, is a oh, alcohol in general is, is, is a huge one. Um, and then you have sort of anecdotal things like, oh, just scream into a pillow. For me, cry, like, like full body weeping, crying um, seems to be a very natural way that I've dealt with heavy emotional uh, trauma in the past. Um, expression through surfing, dancing, creativity, um, sharing my truth, I guess you'd call it as well, uh, vulnerability. Um, so are these, I mean, you mentioned that this modality is specifically about shaking in a certain way. Is that correct? Yeah, look, it could be shaking, but it could also be tremoring or trembling or shivering movements of energy, or it could even be the body starting to involuntarily stretch or rock, which a lot of people experience during uh, meditation, for example, but then we get a sit still, don't move, rather than going, oh, fantastic, what a gift, your body's starting to unwind. Follow that, let that happen. And I think the the main thing there, Jiro, that you're you, you're touching upon is that in our Western culture, our whole Western medical model is what we call a restorative model, which means just take the pain away. Give me the tablets, take it away so I can still stay and do whatever I want to do. I don't have to grow and change and actually move through things. So our our whole culture around unresolved trauma in the body and how it shows up as tension and chronic injuries is just 
cut it out, medicate it, avoid it. And so one of the great things about the shaking or the tremoring mechanism and the movement that's involved is movement is the way that our central nervous system and our peripheral nervous system actually know that each of them exist. So, you know, when we're born, if we tie your arm behind your back and it never moves, the part of your brain that's aware of your arm will just go offline. It's like it doesn't exist. So for me, the key thing is to recognize that our stress and trauma responses are actually about physical movement of the body, you know, survival. We tend to get caught up in thinking of the psychological, the thought-based stuff, or even the emotional aspect of it. But really, the emotions are only there to increase our movement response, fight, flight, freeze, or the shutting down and the immobility. So the key thing, and this is what David Berselli's really, you know, he was one of the first people I'd ever heard speak about post-traumatic growth. And that the value of going into our stress, into our unresolved trauma, which is another way of saying the value of going into our body so we can transform it and touch into those things that were previously overwhelming that we couldn't embody and allow to move out of us. And now letting the body start to flow and move again, the body will only shake and tremor when it's safe to do so. So the minute we're starting to shake and we go, oh, my God, this was scary because we're just not training it yet, the fact that the body's shaking, the body's yelling out to my ego saying, you are safe, let go, you're safe, let go. But in our culture, we're so trained to use our ego to control our body. You know, we have the classic saying, mind over matter. You know, you can do it, use your mind. I just say to people, look, if if you believe in mind over matter, the next time you do a firewalk, just give me an extra 150 metres. And you'll soon find that mind over matter only takes us so far. It's a really valuable step on the journey if we're used to being powerless and shut down and you know knocked around so that we're in a traumatized state where we can't move and we don't have a connection to ourselves and our passion and our flow. But ultimately, there's a step beyond that sense of individual power, which is starting to connect into the world around us. And there is something bigger, which is the body or the you know, nature, mother, mother Earth, whatever we want to call it. And that's a much more mature experience of connecting into a deeper sense of myself in relationship with others in the world around me. Hmm. So how does, how does this or how has this informed or transformed your philosophy on life, your spirituality, the way you answer questions like what is the meaning, is there a higher power, things like that? Hmm. It's, a, it's a great question. So let me see if I can, I can answer it. One of the, um, okay, so growing up in my culture, I grew up with an ego and a mind and my sense is that I have to do everything, especially I'm a guy. It's all up to me. And our whole Western psychological model is that everything's inside me. If I've got a problem, it's just in me. It's in my brain. It's in my body. Nothing to do with the environment or anything else around. Now, once I started to experience this uh, neurogenic tremor, this movement inside me, I started to go, hang on. My ego is not doing this. I'm not choosing to move. I'm doing some exercises to invoke it. But once those tremors come on, my body is moving me, you know, calling me my sense of consciousness or my ego. So it was very easy, actually, even though I had a background training as a physio, which is one of the modalities, which is the most saying, hey, I'm the physio, I'm making the changes on you, the least about your body doing the work. Mm. So I started to experience within my own individual body a sense of, hang on, there's something older, more ancient, deeper, wiser than my conscious mind will ever be, 
which knows how to move me back to freedom. So let's lie down on the floor and activate that and let that restore me so my conscious mind started to learn how to let go. Now, that's the experience in my own individual body, but where it really transforms for me is when the tremors are taking us back into those parts of our bodies that are numb and frozen and disconnected, and we start to recognize that this journey going towards our unresolved trauma in our own body is the pathway to healing and letting it go and growth, then very soon, as soon as I start to get defensive in my external life, whether my partner says, oh, I don't like you or whatever, and my body tightens up, then I started to recognize, wow, my body's just gone into defense. So I've still got a pattern here in my physiology, which is saying I've got to defend. And in my Western world, look, my body's never under threat. The only thing that's ever been under threat largely in my life is my ego or my sense of self or identity. So I started to recognize that every time my body was going into defense, it was another sign that I was, de- I was defending my ego. And then if I could tremor and let it go, or as you say, cry deeply or walk in the woods or treat everything we do, all the treatments people do are about trying to get back to a self-connected, grounded state. I started to recognize that life was starting to bring me all of these experiences. Instead of saying, hey, no, don't, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to trigger me. I don't want you to react towards me. I don't want you to you know, put me into a stressed state. Every time, and David Berselli would, you know, keep saying, go back into the body. Wow, my defenses have come up. There's something there unresolved. I'd shake, tremor, cry, do whatever. And then afterwards, I go, wow, I just got through that and I feel more free. So it shifted this idea that I was just in relationship first from my conscious mind into my body and going, hey, my body knows what's going on here. And my body is naturally and with no control or conscious direction of myself moving me towards greater freedom it soon became very obvious that all of my interactions in life were doing the same thing. So whenever I bumped into something where my defenses came up, it was like two rocks in the river that were you know, bumping together to polish me and make me a more mature, grounded and um, embodied person. Now, for many people listening, you'll go, yeah, this makes sense. But what I'd say is critical is, yeah, intellectually it made sense to me for you know, years, I'd read all the books, I'd read Eckhart Tolle, I'd run all, you know, I knew all that, I knew everything, but my body was still yet to catch up. And so that was the difference was that now with the tremoring mechanism, I actually had a, a, a means and a way that I could use on my own. And just to be clear, it's not a modality in something like you need the practitioner. It's a resource that's inside ourselves that we use on our own. And that was the real value. I could just lie down at night, let my legs tremor and all that anger, fear, whatever I'd I'd activated during the day would just start to naturally dissipate. So in terms of the way it's changed my relationship, it's given me a more expansive sense of myself, my relationship to my body, my connection in my body, and through that connection with my body, my connection and relationship with the rest of the world around me. And so now I am in an embodied way able to welcome those experiences which normally I would push away and defend against and say, I don't want that stress, I don't want that to happen because grinning and bearing, you know, grinning and begrudgingly, I'd still have to go, I know this is going to heal me and I'm going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, for me, it's just, it's just, it's like the analogy of being pruned. You know what? The tree's not sitting there going, oh, great, cut my branch off. That feels great. We're going, oh, oh, oh. But each time it happens and a beautiful flower arises, we're a little bit more able inside ourselves to go, this hurts, but I know that the other side of it's going to be this beautiful blossom. Mm. Being pr- being pruned by life—that's that's that's what it's given me. 
So what about, so, so we'll get more into the technique later on, if that's okay. Um, sure. But first of all, I want to touch on the point, you know, if I were to put myself in the shoes of somebody who feels like they've had a lot of trauma and repression in their life and they've perhaps they're on medication or they've spent large chunks of their life on antidepressants or something similar and this sort of repression is manifested in bodily dysfunction and pain, arthritis or whatever it might be, gut issues um, and, let's, and sadness, vulnerability, loneliness and Let's say that this person is conscious of the fact that there is repression and there is sadness. And, but, you know, one, one olive branch our culture extends is go see a therapist, go see a psych. Um, what, what does the modality that you represent or, in fact, just your own wisdom, what would, how would you help a person like that actually not just release it, but actually is there, is there a... Is there a is there a uh, power in finding the causes of that thing? Or how sort of like introspective and, and granular do we have to get forensic in terms of like, oh, that's caused by that incident when I was eight years old and it resulted in that particular type of trauma and pain and, and so forth in the rest of your life so that you have like this clarity about all the ways in which you were traumatized. Is that necessary? So I would say if it's necessary for you, or the person, then yes, it's necessary. In my opinion, I spent my whole life doing that, using my ego to try and understand why I was like I was. So you kind of go, well, I know why I'm fucked up, but I'm still fucked up. At least, but then you go, oh, but at least I understand why. And in my experience, and this is the magic with David Berselli accessing the tremors, because when the zebra gets chased by the lion and it goes down to the waterhole and starts to shake and tremble and recover, its body recovers. It's not you know, it's not its mind. So as humans, we're a bit different. We've got a cortex. We've got a conscious sense of self. So telling the story can be really important. However, what I'd be saying is that, see, none of us are having stress, trauma, or mental health conditions because we're consciously choosing to. It's really got nothing to do with our conscious mind. It's an unconscious process. And if you had have asked me this question even three or four months ago, I would have said, well, people who are really traumatized, we need to focus on their trauma and we need to release the trauma, which is letting go of all the tension and that. But now I've got a whole different experience and understanding of it. So think about it like this. If you've got a bird in a cage, what we're releasing when you open the door is not, we're not releasing the cage. We're releasing this freedom and this bird that's inside the cage. So it's a very different thing where if we connect deeper into the body, we're not letting go of all our defenses. We're not letting go of our stress and our emotions we're letting go something that's deeper inside the body underneath that, which is our connection to safety, freedom, flow, and movement. So these days, if someone came in with, you know, to see me with the exact same things that you're, you know, you're sort of mentioning about, I will still be now looking to and knowing that there's the freedom in their body underneath, which I don't have to consciously do. We just need to help them have an experience and access that where they go, hey, there's something inside my body. It's got nothing to do with the story. It's got nothing to do with my conscious mind, which will move me back to freedom and flow. So if I keep looking towards that, yes, we may still need to manage people with their medication and their mental health. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm looking towards now is this innate evolutionary 
reorganizational impulse. Let's just call it life force. We don't know what it is. We really can't explain it. But there's something that there's something that takes us from a baby to an old person that grows us up. And this tremor mechanism, just for one of a, a westernized concept or word for it, this is what it's doing for us because I see it in my own body. We see it in other people. People all around the world are seeing this this reorganization occur. Does that yeah? Does that kind of answer it? Yeah, it does. So, so just to play devil's advocate, so why why aren't why aren't I seeing just really stressed out people walking down the street just shaking the whole time? Like, why why is our physiology not uh, expressing that impulse? Yeah, great. Well, basically, because in our culture we suppress it. We get trained to suppress it because in our Western medical model, the you know all any anything to do with shakes and tremors is pathologized. So if you go and see a psychologist and say, "Oh my God, my body's shaking, my heart's pounding," they'll say you're having a panic attack. We need to treat that. When people come and see somebody, somebody say you're not having a panic attack, you're having a panic discharge. <laughs> this is how your body's letting go. The fact that it's shaking, it, your body is trying to let go. It's like. In our medical model, we go, I'm having nightmares. I'm going, thank God you're having nightmares. Your body is trying to integrate, connect with, let go of the defenses around that experience so you can integrate it. But in our model, we say, oh, no, no, that's pathologized and there's no research yet. Are there any studies? We go, well, no, we're not, apart from all these cultures around the world that are, you know, been using this for thousands of years. You know, when Peter Levine, the developer of somatic experiencing, first saw the way tremors were working with it was gamekeepers in Africa who were saying to him, hey, when we catch and release animals, if, if, they, if this animal shakes, it lives, and if this animal doesn't shake, it dies. As simple as that. Now, they don't go, hey, where's the journal evidence, and is it a double-blind controlled randomized study? They just go, we know that when this happens, this happens. Another great example, Jiro, I love this story, is David Berselli was teaching tremoring and TRE to these uh, Swahili, traditional Swahili midwives. Anyway, they're all lying on the floor. Their bodies are all shaking. They're all speaking Swahili. He can't understand a word. One of the one of the mothers yells out. One of the midwives yells out, "Push, mama, push!" And the whole room ex- just explodes in laughter. So afterwards, he says, "Why did you say push, mama, push? And why was everyone laughing? What was so funny?" This woman gets up. And she says, "Oh, you white doctors, we know all about these tremors." And so they went on to explain that in their traditional culture, the woman would give birth standing up with a midwife holding and supporting her under each arm. And then she said, and after that woman's given birth, we will not let her lie down until her body has completely stopped shaking, shuddering, tremoring, and convulsing. Because if we do, and she doesn't let that discharge happen, which could be up to half an hour, we know that she'll have problems. So there's this ancient wisdom that in our Western, very intellectualized, you know, very ego-driven Western medical model, it's just currently outside the outside the parameters of what's been looked at and studied mm, fascinating man what what's your take on kinesiology um particularly this idea of um tapping and speaking directly to your subconscious through muscular or some sort of output um mm. does that resonate with you yeah look so Many years ago, I heard Candace Pert talk on the radio, who, the, the woman who wrote the book Molecules of Emotion. And her next book, I don't know whether she ever wrote it, she said, my next book is going to be called Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind. So that, that was a thing that resonates for me. And so with my limited understanding of kinesiology, the beauty of, of kinesiology is, is it shows that our belief system is actually in our body. So, you know, if I say, hey, 
Jiro, how about have some orange juice and your muscles go weak? It's your body is responding and going, no, no, we, we, that's weak. I'm going to collapse. That's not something that's going to help me feel stronger and that sort of thing. So the beauty of kinesiology is we're working with the body. People call it the subconscious mind. So let's just call it the body. We're working with does the body get stronger or does it collapse? And so that for me is the real beauty is that we're then matching, okay, how does my body respond to this, to this, to this, to this, to this memory, even things that we don't remember, you know, just the practitioner thinking of something and then doing things to basically let the body say, hey, you know what, you can do this without, you can think about this or relate to this without having to shut down and reactivate defenses and collapse. Mm. So in a way, it's no different from, you know, what we talked the other day about what Wim Hof is doing is we're saying most of us jump into the freezing cold water and our body is going conditioned response, we're going to die. Because if we don't eventually get out, we are going to die. So our body defends against experiences, even if they're not too extreme, but they're heading in the direction. You know, so as my body temperature starts to drop, the body says, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to die. So it mobilizes, we freak out, we jump out. Whereas with the cold immersion, you know, practices of Wim Hof and many others, what's actually happening is we're learning to stay in our bodies and not disconnect and go, hang on, I'm not dead yet. I think I can stay here. Whether our core temperatures, whether we're trying to rise it or, or lower it. And something that was fascinating for me was just on the weekend, I was at an Earth Wisdom weekend with this uh, one of the last traditionally initiated elders, Aboriginal elders uh, from in Australia, in southeast Australia, um, Uncle Max Harrison, Dajala Dullamumun from the Yuan Nation up on the south coast of, of New South Wales. And funnily enough, about 10 years ago when I knew him, he said, when we were cold, when we were growing up traditionally, if we got cold, what our elders did is they made us jump in the river. And then we'd get out and stand on a rock and we'd all warm up. Oh, I sort of thought, hmm, that's kind of weird. Plus I thought, oh, there's no way I'm doing that. That's way too cold. And so now what we see, you know, with Wim Hof's explosion taking off, the value here is what we're seeing is it's not the jumping in the water that's important. It's the body's response and the body going, hey, hang on, let's, we've actually got the capacity to stay warm and stay connected to ourselves and not actually freeze and disconnect. So this is where, um, you know, same with kinesiology or homeopathy or Bowen therapy was a, a great shift for me when I was doing it where we're going, it's not me doing the changes. I'm doing a little flick on the skin. It's what the body is doing in response which is really where our capacity is. Mm. So let's get more into the technique. Um, but first of all, let's talk a little bit about breath. So you mentioned Wim Hof. Um, one of the experiences that I had in, well, it, one of the chapters of my life has, has been very much diving down this plant medicine, psychedelic, psychotropic uh, kind of pathway to, ex to explore release and connection through exogenous means, I guess, like taking substances into my body. And then a part of that chapter is through using my breath. And I've done a little bit of holotropic breath work, which is um, induced or conscious hyperventilation to create alkosis and, and uh, basically put you into a altered state. And I guess, there, I don't know... Time didn't have any, any meaning to me at that state of consciousness, but I was crying and laughing at the same time, like <laughs> really like sobbing, but yet laughter at the same time. It's very hard to imagine or describe, but it was like quite 
a pure type of release, you know, like when we laugh from the belly, it's, it feels very cathartic, it, it's releasing something, and when we're crying and racking our body, there's, there's a similar sort of catharsis going on there. Um, so this was just simply through breath alone. So does, like, what, where, where does uh, TRE intersect with practices like that? Oh, look, there's, there's, there's many different ways. So one of, the, one of the things that we see in TRE, and you see this if you've got a child or if you ever watch yourself crying, is that most of us will cry, and what we're actually doing when we're crying is we're not crying. So we'll tend to be like... <laughs> <laughs> and so we're actually resisting the full movement of the diaphragm. Mm. And in our culture, you know, there's lots and lots of la- laughter yoga, and I'm really happy to now see that people have started crying yoga because when we get underneath the limbic system or the emotional part of our brain where we get into the emotional or limbic hijacking when we connect deeper than that just into the physiology we're going hang on it might be sad memory it might be happy memory my diaphragm is just starting to move up and down and a full belly cry (laughs) and there's that moment where that and that's like we would just call that a tremor for want of a better word it's the it's the deepest natural that's the way the diaphragm releases it goes up and down Mm. And so in TRE, what's really interesting is a lot of people, when they start to tremor and their diaphragm starts to get a bit shallow, they all go into their consciously deep breathing that they've all been trained to do in yoga and all that sort of thing. Now, that's not wrong or bad, but normally what I'll say is say, hey, forget about that. I want to see what your diaphragm actually wants to do, not what you want it to do. And then often what will happen is the breath may get very shallow because our body often needs to recreate states in order to then reintegrate them. And so they might, you know, their, their diaphragm might grip and hold and contract really, really deep until then it lets go. And that's like that point where, if, say, if you've got a young child, they're crying <laughs> and they're sobbing. And what we're looking for is they're not consciously take. And then there's this moment where they, <sighs> they take the deep breath. And you're like, oh, it's over. And that's an organic deep breath, which is very different from a consciously driven breath. Now, using our conscious breathing techniques is a brilliant and one of the greatest possible ways to start to access and tap into our autonomic nervous system and our conditioned responses. So it's not wrong or bad, but at some point there's a difference where your body knows how to breathe. And, you know, when I'm in a class and someone says, remember to breathe, I put my hand up and say, are you telling me that I've got to use part of my conscious mind to breathe? What a waste. Babies don't lie there going, oh, I've got to breathe, I've got to activate my core, I've got to do this. The body just does it. So in TRE, what we're doing is actually letting the body recreate its natural organic state where the breath is free. And everything else that we're doing is generally trying to access and connect with the unresolved inhibitions that are in our breath. So, you know, we can't take a full in-breath. We can't take a full out-breath. As soon as we breathe out, the body's got a conditioned response. Quick, breathe or we're going to die. That's part of doing the, you know, the hyperventilating is that impulse reduces a little bit. and We go, hang on. I can hold my breath for 40 seconds or three minutes or whatever it is. And the body learns that it doesn't need to breathe, whereas in the past it it possibly had to for its survival. So using those breath techniques is really a way of connecting in with our autonomic fear responses Mm. and being able to connect with your diaphragm just to keep it really simple and a physical structure. If your diaphragm is really tense and tight, you can't relax that if you're not connected to it. And so by feeling it, And if you can embody it, then you can just say, hang on, I'm not going to die. I don't have to take a breath. I'm actually going to relax my diaphragm. 
So we're not fighting against the impulse to breathe. We're actually relaxing into it, which is, you know, everything that Wim Hof is talking about when he says, if you feel the need to breathe, breathe, don't force it. Whereas in our culture, we all tend to, and this was my experience, we hold it and fight against it. We feel the urge to breathe, and then we use all our other muscles to stop that happening. That's very different from feeling the urge to breathe, feeling where that is as a physical sensation in the body, and then being able to consciously relax and let it go. What do you think would happen if 1 million people, 10 million people, 100 million people all learnt this form of emotional release? So, first of all, I just want to clarify. So, let's just say that people learnt this form of physical release because it's really important that we don't get caught in this idea of emotional release. Now, yes, there may be emotions released, but what we're looking is forget the emotions, look at the structure. Oh, if we just called it diaphragmatic release. So, I mean, you know, you tell me if 10 10 million people on the planet were breathing more deeply, Mm. if they were more relaxed, if they were more connected to themselves, it's, it's a no-brainer how the world's going to – we're all going to start to have more freedom and flow. And the real beauty for me, again, you know, this is why I pick up and say this is not a modality. This tremor mechanism or this shaking mechanism or this life force or whatever it is inside us that naturally tries to move us towards freedom and flow, that's already in there. And TRE is just a way that people can learn to activate it and access it and regulate it and work with it and relate to themselves and this impulse on their own. So that's what I really value rather than going, you always have to um, see someone or do something or pay money. It's like once you learn how to do it, once you learn how to regulate, you get comfortable with it. It's like, do you go to sleep at night? No, I'm awake for two minutes. Great. Pull your knees up, invoke the tremors, let your body move. So is it possible to, without going to a workshop or without seeing a practitioner, is it possible to, for any listeners of the show, to learn any simple ways to invoke a release? Yeah, look, there are, um, and the, the safest way I would say to people is if you feel your body start to shake and tremor, say you're meditating and you, or you're at yoga or you're at the gym, and you feel completely comfortable and it feels great, then just let it happen. That's at its most simple. Now, the reason we have a little bit of caution is for the very small percentage of people who've had unresolved trauma in the past, movement of energy and charge and arousal and, and lots of flow in the body is often then associated with the past unresolved trauma. So, you know, if you had a car accident at 200 kilometers, the next time your body starts to shake and move at 200 kilometers of charge, the body says, hang on, this is related. The last time this was happened, this was a, this was a traumatic event. And the body actually starts to defend against, it's really the mind, I should say, starts to defend against the freedom and flow of that movement and that charge moving through us. So in a very small percentage of people, if they start to tremor, their body, it won't create anything new in their body, but their body might start to reactivate, say, their fight or flight mechanism as a way of discharging. Or they may start to find their body going to an immobility response. So it's the same way as using an antivirus program on the computer. It's not putting anything new into the system. It's just showing us what's already there. So for those people, if they experience that sense of, oh, my God, my body's tremoring, I can't control it, that is actually the recreation of what ultimately is trauma, that I've got no sense of ability to control or turn down the intensity of my experience. So a small percentage of people need help to learn how to regulate that and to stop and start the tremors rather than just letting go. Mm. The rest of the population, it's like let it happen 
um, let you know, let it happen, go with it. And my only caution is because of my qualification and therefore as a physiotherapist and my registration means that within the Australia, I can't just say, hey, look, it's great, all go for it. Professionally, I can't say that. Personally, I just say to people, great, you know, if, you, if you're in a car accident and you see someone shaking and tremoring, you don't have to try and calm it down. You go, fantastic, this is beautiful. Let this happen. Your body knows what it's doing. Mm. So, you know, there are, there's no, you'll notice on the, on the internet and that there's not really a lot of uh, videos about doing it because, again, just to make sure that those few small percentage of people who need that teaching and regulation, that they're getting it, you know, other people, there's David Berselli, the founder, he's got, you know, an app online called Stress Less. He's got a webinar for people. You can buy DVDs, you know, the books and all that sort of stuff. Well, let's talk about how people can learn from you. So, look, the way I'm currently teaching it primarily is through two-day workshops. And um, I run them all around Australia. Um, through, and, you know, if you want to find out about where they are, just look up treaustralia.com.au. A little caveat is that currently the website, I haven't updated it, so it's very much still coming from that trauma release model rather than focusing on flow and freedom. Um, and so at the workshops, what we do is basically what I need to do is reframe and help people unwind their existing beliefs about what shakes and tremors are. And then we do two sets of twice during the day, we'll go into the tremor experience and let people activate it, engage with it, connect with it. And then the reason we do a two-day workshop is we see how they go overnight. Because again, it's not really what happens while you're tremoring. Overnight, it's like, how did our ego cope with having some you know, of our defenses unwound and getting connected to ourselves and making sense of that? Mm. And then, I mean, there's also TRE practitioners. We haven't got many. It's still relatively new in Australia. There might be 40 or 50 in Australia. Again, on the website, you can find them. So people often attend groups, a bit like going to a yoga group or do one-on-one sessions or, you know, occasionally people do stuff on Skype. Awesome. But it's really, again, the beautiful, the beautiful thing, this is what I'm really impassioned about, is once you learn how to activate or access this impulse and that you're comfortable with going with it, then it's just like keep doing it, keep trimming. It's a no-brainer. You have to do it and, you know, see if, come and see me if you need help or you're not sure or you want to explore and delve further. But ultimately it's just like, just keep activating the tremor mechanism mm. and how your body, the infinite wisdom inside us, already knows how to keep moving us towards growth, freedom, and flow. Mm, it's very empowering. And uh, Richmond, so thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I am very excited to add this to my quiver of uh, capabilities um, to help me live a more flowing and inspired life. Um, I really see the connection between what you've learned and what you practice and what you teach with natural quest to live the best lives possible. Um, it seems to me very pragmatic, very grounded. Um, and I love the way that how you talk about somebody can just learn at once and have that skill for life. And the idea of having this skill to deal with this thing, which is really this, this repression is degenerating humanity. I think it's very clear to see that. Uh, just one look around at your local pub and you'll see that repression um, and pain and stress are the um, are really the other side of this veil um, to freedom, flow, expression and all the good stuff and so I, I honour you for um, doing the work that you're doing brother and mm. um, 
Thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom and, and your passion with us on the show today. Thanks, Jira. I really appreciate the, um, the opportunity. And what I'm really grateful for for you is so clearly stating that vision that you've just, you've just put out there for me is, you know, imagine if 10 million people, imagine if 100 million people, imagine if everyone on the planet knew about this. They don't have to use it, but they knew about this ability that's really the vision that I'm I'm working towards. So I really appreciate mm, just beautiful. putting it out there and stating it. And it's mm. it's a beautiful thing. And basically in the same way that when we activate the tremors, it's not up to my conscious mind how my body tremors. It's not up to my conscious mind how the tremors move through the planet. But what I can guarantee you is in the same way that the tremors find their way eventually through everything in the body, they're coming across the planet mm. in the same way. It's just a matter of the rate of flow and the time that it takes. Mm. And one thing that just came to me when you were speaking was that this realization that we cannot think our way to liberation. We cannot think our way to, to freedom and to our best lives possible. This obsession and addiction with thinking is a modern-day post-industrial disease that is causing much pain and suffering. So for everybody out there, just really think about this theme of embodiment and getting into our bodies. This is the true meaning of our body is a temple. This is the yeah. true meaning. Our body is a temple and we walk through the, the gates of that temple and we will find the, the keys to freedom and liberation. So thank you so much for sharing this pragmatic, practical, powerful way and, and I really can't wait to do some training with you, Richmond. It's, it's uh, yeah. really exciting me, man. So thanks for coming on the show. Good, yeah, real pleasure. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Richmond Heath. He's a super passionate guy. Certainly helped me understand how our Western medical views are really quite, well, just dysfunctional. This idea of taking the tablets, the pain will go away, cut it out and medicate it. Um, it just really doesn't seem like a very sophisticated understanding of our mind-body system. Um, and it certainly makes much more sense to me to understand how our stress and trauma responses are really about movement of our physical body by shaking things out by by getting into like the, the the physicality of how these trauma responses are manifested we can create a life of much greater freedom and flow tune in next week we've got another fan, fascinating interview next week where we it's a conversation uh, that i have that i'm having with giles hutchins who's a absolute powerhouse and genius when it comes to bridging together um, nature and business and looking at natural patterns and systems of that we see in ecosystems and how businesses are really like industrial relics and how we can uh, be part of changing the way that businesses operate to uh, a more flowing sustainable model of that harmonizes with nature um, as always please check out www.flowtribe.co this might be the tribe that you're looking for we've got a uh, some amazing action and, and uh, growth going on in there. Humans really stepping up um, to be the best versions of themselves. Um, I hope to see you on the inside in that community. Otherwise, this is me, Jerry Taylor, um, coming at you from Sunshine Coast in Australia, signing out. Have a beautiful, flowing uh, day of abundance and peace and joy. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.